Hi, welcome to Living Water Bible Fellowship's audio sermons. It's our prayer and hope that you'll be encouraged and uplifted by the preaching of God's Word. Stick around after the message to hear more about how to contact us. I love uh, uh, changes in seasons from wind to little wind. Isn't it great? <laughs> I, I love changes in seasons uh, because, you know, like even on Sunday mornings, you see people sitting in different places. If anybody sold your seat today, be kind to them. It's always great to see changes in season. This is wedding season. Uh, there's nothing more beautiful than a, uh, a Saturday when the groom comes walking down the aisle. He's, he's, he's combed his hair. He's clean. Everyone comments, wow, you really clean up well. But when he gets on, uh, up on the platform, man, he looks so magnificent. It's a great moment. And, th and then the bride. Th then you see the bride in, in all of her splendor. Uh, it's a magnificent moment, a glorious moment, a, a moment of splendor. And we can't help when we see the bride to stand up. It's a foretaste of heaven. It's a foretaste of the kingdom come. It's a foretaste of glory. Just in that moment. So wedding season, uh, it's after a few years of, of pause. It's back in full force. And praise God for all the seasons that we go through. But the, the season of celebration and rejoicing. We wish that weddings that day could be captured. We, we wish that, that those, those moments of bliss, those moments of pure joy, that radiant joy of peace and love and everybody celebrating and everybody clapping, every, those moments would continue on for a long, long time. But the day after, the, the week after, the married couple steps into the world again. And they get to know each other in a new way, in a... In a an amazing, uh, eye-opening way. They, they get to see how the other person sleeps. They get to see how the other person eats. <laughs> they, they get to see all these, these amazing things. Like, he doesn't pick up his socks. She doesn't close the cabinet door. All the things that they get to enter into in the marriage. And marriage, man, that we wish we could hold on to those few moments of just purity and wonder and splendor, but we've all, those of us who have been married, we, we know that we enter into life and, man, we, we f figure out that we're so immature when we enter into marriage. We figure out that we've married a sinner when we enter into marriage. We, we, we suddenly realize that we have all kinds of problems that we never dealt with before, all kinds of rough edges and splinters in us that need to be sanded off. We, we enter into money problems and family problems and, and job problems and, and, man, it gets hard. We wish we could go back to the wedding day or the reception and all the joy, but, but sometimes it just gets so difficult. And, and some of you have been there with, with marriages that have been so hard and so difficult. Some of you have been there where the marriages haven't worked. Some of you have been there where it's where it's feels like agony and feels torturous and, and some of you know how hard marriage can be, how challenging it is and how difficult and, and some of you have contemplated divorce. Some of you have gone through seasons where you could describe it as hellish 
And this person that you married, no, nobody plans when they get married to get a divorce. But some, some of you have been through things that you wouldn't wish on your worst enemy, right? Some of you have gone through things and, and some of you have been divorced. And it's, it's such an emotional issue and such a difficult issue and such a challenging issue. How could something so pure and so wonderful, something that points to the Lord Jesus Christ and His church, that's why the wedding day is so beautiful because it's, it's a reflection of what's coming. It's a reflection of the kingdom come. It's a reflection of, of that day when Jesus Christ comes back and He takes His bride and, and the glory and the splendor of the kingdom. It's a wonderful, glorious day. How can we can't hold on to that? Why is marriage so hard in this fallen, broken world? And so we come to a topic today that I, I would rather not talk about. I'd rather not go there because it is so hard and so painful for some. Even right now, maybe some of you are struggling. But the question that's raised in this, the sermon text that we come to today is, is divorce allowable for a Christian? Is divorce something that a Christian should contemplate? Is a divorce something that a Christian can do? Hard, difficult, challenging frightening questions that are raised, but we, we come to the, to the Word of God. We come to God's Word. We come to the maker of marriage, and we ask those questions sincerely and honestly and transparently. May God bless the reading of His Word, and may God bless us as we learn how to live life as fallen people in a broken world until the kingdom comes. Bless us, Lord. Please open your Bibles to the Gospel of Mark. Continue our sermon series in the Gospel of Mark in chapter 10. Chapter 10, verse 1, please. And he left there and went to the region of Judea and beyond the Jordan. And crowds gathered to him again and again, as was his custom, he taught them. We've seen that throughout the Gospel of Mark. Jesus can't help but teach the, the crowds, the, the lost sheep, those who are without a shepherd. But the Pharisees came, verse 2, and in order to test him, they asked, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? He answered them, What did Moses command you? They said, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce and send her away. And Jesus said to them, because of your hardness of heart, he wrote you this commandment. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together let not, let not man separate. And in the house the disciples asked him again about this matter. He said to them, Whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. Lord, help us through this text. Lord, help the people in this room through this text. Give us grace, Holy Spirit, to be led by your word and to walk in your word. Help us to, as we think about past decisions and, and past choices and the things we've been through and the suffering that we've gone through and the hardships 
even in our marriage or our parents' marriage, give us grace to do your will. Lord Jesus, amen. And so Jesus has been traveling with his disciples. He's been going throughout Galilee. But as we've seen the last few weeks, he's entered into teaching time with his disciples. He's entered into an instructional time with his disciples. And this time he moves across uh, the Jordan River to a place called Perea. Uh, the other side of the Jordan. It's a place with a lot of Gentiles. Uh, there's some Jewish people there as well. The crowds gather, he's, he's famous, and, he, and this time, instead of, of trying to get away from him, he, he teaches them. Again, he wanted to teach his disciples, but here he's ministering to the crowd. But again, he's got some opponents who want him dead. We've seen already in the text that he's, uh, he's been marked for death. They want to find him uh, in, some, in some, some trap. This is a trick question when they come and they say, Should a man, can a man divorce his wife? They've already arrived at their own opinions. They're not asking the question out of real integrity. They're not asking the questions because they really want to know. They've already made up their mind about this matter. They already say yes. The Pharisees, uh, you wouldn't think it, but the Pharisees are typically very conservative across many different uh, arenas of, of topics. They are very liberal in their, uh, their willingness to let people divorce. They are, they are very liberal. Uh, they think that a man can divorce a woman for any matter. So they've already arrived at that position, but they want to test Jesus because uh, in Perea, uh, Herod the great son, Antipas, He's been given a, a, a section of Palestine, a section part of Israel. He's been given an area where he is ruled uh, for quite a while. But in the last few years, the Pharisees, in their test and their attempt to trap Jesus, they know what's been happening. You see, Herod left his wife to divorce. He divorced his wife to marry another woman. And Herodias, she divorced Philip, Herod's brother, to marry Herod. Okay, so they both intentionally left their spouses in order to marry each other. And if you remember back, I think it was in chapter 6, uh, John the Baptist, he called out the wickedness of this action. He said uh, to, to Herod, you can't have your brother's wife like this. Uh, and Herodias came up with a scheme to have him killed. And eventually her daughter danced. And remember, the, the head of John the Baptist was put on a platter and brought to her. And so they're trying to entangle Jesus in local politics. They know what's been happening in the area of, of, of divorce and remarriage and how it was scandalous for so many people. And so they're asking the question, what do you think, Jesus? Do you think it's okay for a man to divorce his wife or not? So they, they're trying to trap him. They're hoping he'll stumble, that somehow he'll, he'll forget something Moses said, and they can accuse him before the Jews, or they're hoping he'll say something publicly, and it'll be all over social media, so that maybe Herod will behead him too. We're not sure. All that's going to happen here. But they, they bring them the question. So as a great teacher, uh, Jesus answers a question with a question. Right? Uh, maybe some of you, maybe we should learn from this style. 
a rabbinical style, he says, oh, well, you tell me, what does Moses command you? And so it's a great question, it's a brilliant question, because he knows Moses hasn't commanded anything about divorce. But he puts him on, he says, what do you think? What's Moses say to you? He's your, your authority, the Torah is your authority, what do you think? And so they come back and say, well, verse 4, uh, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce and send her away. Right. Uh, what's that command? Because in the next section he says, because of the hardness of heart, he wrote your, this commandment. Let's look at it a moment. Turn back to the Old Testament. Turn back to the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteron Deuteronomy chapter 24. Deuteronomy chapter 24, verse 1. So we go back to the Torah, and we go back to the law. We go back to uh, the, this, uh, this covenant that God made with Israel. And here's a section of the law. Chapter 24, verse 1. When a man takes a wife and marries her, if then she finds no favor in his eyes, because he has found something indecent, some indecency in her, and he writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out of the house, and she departs out of his house, and if she goes and becomes another man's wife, and the latter man hates her and writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out of his house, or if the latter man dies, who took her to be his wife, then her former husband, who sent her away, may not take her again to be his wife after she has been defiled, for that is an abomination before the Lord. And you shall not bring sin upon the land and the Lord your God, that the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance. And so what we find here in the Old Testament, there is no command for divorce. What's already been happening is the train wrecks have already been happening. The car wrecks have already been happening. The struggles have already been happening. It, it's it's even, even from the time before they leave uh, the mountain. Even from, be, after they leave the mountain, they start wandering in the desert. They've already found that the people are divorcing. Uh, God, God didn't plan it that way. God didn't instruct anybody to get divorced. But they're doing it. And so, and so Moses, they're, they're right. When the Pharisees say, well, Moses permitted us to write her a certificate of divorce and send her away. And, and again, this is told from a man's point of view. In Israel during the day, back in, in the ancient times and in Jesus' day, uh, a woman could not divorce her husband, but the man could divorce the woman. Now, a woman could go before the elders of the village and, and mention some kind of immorality that her husband is participating in or some kind of evil that he's doing, and she could call the elders to force him to divorce her, but she did not have the power in and of herself. So here we see this, this situation where uh, they're saying, yeah, Moses permitted us, and we just read here, and, and he did permit an allowance, a condescent, you know, a... a, a it's something that's happening that, that kind of a contingency, so to speak. It wasn't planned for. It wasn't, it wasn't dreamed up. It wasn't hoped for that there would be divorce someday when God made marriage. What is happening? So this is a text that says, well, if this happens, since it's already happening, here's how to, here's how to make it happen in order to protect the woman. In order to protect from evil. Jesus said uh, back in Mark 10, he said uh, in verse 5, because of the hardness of your heart, he wrote you this commandment. 
so, so the commandment in, in chapter 24, verses 1 through 4, the commandment is, is the, 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 the law is, once you let her go, you can't bring her back. And so it, there's two things there. The, You've got to write her a certificate of divorce, and you can't bring her back. It was intentional. It was like a, a, a pause. Hey, husband, you selfish man. Hey, husband, you, you, you man who you, you want to get rid of your wife, stop for a second. You've got to write her out a certificate of divorce that she can show anybody. You've got to write the reason on that certificate of divorce to show somebody so she can't be accused. And, and we re recognize in the Old Testament times such as this, and even in Jesus' day, there's no safety net, there's no job market for women, there, there's no place you can go get employment. If you are turned loose by your husband, you're at the mercy of the village you're in, you're at the mercy of the people you're with. Uh, they could take you in or they might not. You might have to turn to prostitution, you might have to do something evil. And, and so it, really a man turning a woman loose, uh, just like willy-nilly like that, it, it's a terrible thing. So at least you've got to give her a certificate of divorce so that she can get remarried. So she can show maybe a future husband that she's not a tramp in the eyes of the village. But she, she, she doesn't have a lot of recourse. She doesn't have a lot. Of, and, and, and so we, there, there's so many scriptures, you guys, that talk about God's anger at Israel at their wickedness. Anger at their hard-heartedness towards, towards their own people. If you, if you, if you would, maybe if you're taking notes, and I encourage you to take notes today. Malachi chapter 2, verses 13 through 16. Maybe write that down. It's a famous text where it says God hates divorce, but really it's talking about how God doesn't answer the men's prayers because, uh, because they've been so wicked against their wives in divorcing the wife of their youth. And, and it's like he says, I, you know, you hate your wife, I hate divorce because it's like you put violence on your garments. The guilt in your hands is so bad. And so that's, that's what Jesus is talking about here when he refers to this commandment where the, the Pharisee says, well, he allows us to do it. But, but really, it was a guard against the women because you know what would happen? Uh, people didn't live back long that day. They didn't live long, very long those days. And so what would happen is a guy would send a woman away. She might marry another guy. She might not. But if she marries another guy, what, what happens if that guy dies? Uh, the woman there, if, depending on, depending on the, the, the inheritance laws, uh, the, how it would play out, he might say, hey, I want to get that woman back so I can get that other guy's dowry, that other guy's money in a wicked way. And so God says, that, that's totally ugly. You're not, I'm not going to let you do that, Israel. And so the, the commandment they're referring to is really talking about not taking her back. And so it's a pause saying, you know, you can't just bring her back whenever you want. That's evil. And so that's where Jesus starts this, they, they start this conversation. Jesus knew they were going to bring it up as soon as they asked him about divorce. And so he sent him back. He said, what, what does Moses say? Well, Moses allowed us. He gave us the op opportunity to give her a certificate of divorce and send her away. Jesus says, because of the hardness of your heart, he wrote you the commandment. And we have to pause there and we have to think about the hardness of men's heart, the hardness of women's heart, the evil within our heart. You know, people get trapped in marriage sometimes, and, and man, if they feel trapped, they tend to do evil things. Well, if I, if I, can't, if I can't get her out of my life, maybe I'll just kill her. Seriously. And so people take on this, this tact, and, and, and so again, it's a protection, it's a freedom for the woman. She, she's able to get out of there because people can do terrible things to one another. 
So, so it, was a, it was an allowance. It was like, okay, man, the, the worst of two evils here would be that she dies. Or the worst of two evils is that she's just destroyed. So the better of two evils is to allow for divorce. It's a grace. It's a condescension again. It's, it's a blessing in, in one sense. But, it's, but you, hear, you hear God's heart here, don't you? It's not what He intended. They want to talk about divorce. He wants to talk about marriage. Verse 6. But from the beginning of creation. So he goes back. Let's go back to when man and woman were made. Let's go back to the beginning. God made them male and female. For what purpose? Why, why, did it, why, is, why is there binary? Why is there male and female? Why is there two sexes? Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. God designed it that way. God designed marriage like you, you come up and, you know, Lord willing, you come up with two parents in your house. Lord willing, by God's grace, you have a stable home. Uh, by the grace of God, your parents raise you up and they become your closest people, the closest relationships you have. But God designed it so that there would be even a closer relationship in your life, the relationship between a man and a woman, the closest bond that could ever happen in a person's life is between a man and a woman, closer than kids to parents, closer than parents to kids. God designed it that way. And the two shall become one flesh. There's a bond there, there's a union there that God makes, that God puts together, that God knits together. There's courts and laws all over the world, different standards for marriage, different ideas about what marriage is and is not. Civil marriages and civil unions and, and, and uh, weddings and, and uh, certificates that you sign your name to. But biblical marriage, Christian marriage, is something that God makes between a man and a woman. And it's glorious and it's beautiful and it's strong and it's wonderful. God made it from the beginning. They want to talk about divorce. How do I get out? How do I set myself free if I want to get free? There's two, two ideas uh, that were dominant in Jesus' days. Um, two schools. The generation before him, uh, Shammai, the rabbi Shammai, he, he would come up with this, uh, this idea that, uh, man, uh, really this indecency that, that Moses talked about. Remember back in, in Deuteronomy 24, there's some indecency he finds in her. Uh, he, he was very conservative. He said that the only re way that... that you know, he can give her a certificate of divorce. The only way the divorce happens is if there's some indecency. And typically that was some kind of a sexual indecency. Some kind of a sexual immorality. Some kind of an adultery, perhaps. But then the, another rabbi, another school that the Pharisees belonged to, a Hillel. He said, man, you can divorce your wife for anything. You, she has a mole on her face. You don't like that, you can get rid of her. She burns your food, you can get rid of her. You see another woman that you're attracted to. You can get rid of her in order to get her. Very liberal. And the Pharisees were like that. They're like, yeah, we can divorce any time we want. The law says so. What law is that? Well, back in Deuteronomy, Jesus says, no, that's, that's an allowance. That's not a commandment. He allowed you because you're evil in your hearts. So you wouldn't kill your wife. So you wouldn't separate. So you wouldn't abuse her or take advantage of her do evil to her. At least, least if you give her a certificate of divorce, she has a chance for a future. So Jesus said, 
Man, I'm talking about marriage here. I'm talking about something solid. I'm talking about something secure. I'm, so, I'm talking about something that's meant to last. I'm talking about something that's meant to go on and on and on. Till death do you part. If you're taking notes, uh, marriage ends at death. Romans chapter 7, verse, verses 2 through 3. Romans chapter 7, verses 2 through 3. In Mark chapter 12, uh, verses 18 through 27. Mark chapter 12, verses 18 through 27. Death ends a marriage. But Jesus says to these Pharisees who are trying to trap him and trick him and maybe even try to get him killed. He says in verse 9, What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. Can't get any clearer than that, can it? What God has joined together, let no one separate. What God has made, let no person tear apart. He intends your marriage to last the rest of your life. He intends your wedding, that glorious wedding, that wonderful wedding that started how many years ago to last the rest of your life. And he calls you, he calls us to commitment to our marriage, no matter what. He takes it to the next level in verse 10. And in the house, the disciples asked him again about this matter. He said to them, Whoever divorces his wife and marries another, com another commits adultery against her. If she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. Uh, this, is, uh, this is the next level, of course. It's, it's like he, in, in verses 1 through 9, he's basically saying, Hey, no marriage should go on. Divorce is not the will of God. And then he moves on to remarriage. And this is where it gets awful tough for us. In the house, the disciples ask him, what, what do you think, what are you talking about? And he, and, he, and he says, whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery. But there's something interesting here I have to mention. Jesus, compared to his contemporaries, he raises the importance of women to an equal status. Equal, equality between men and women goes back to Genesis. Uh, the two shall become one. There's two equals. Becoming one. And, and, but in Jesus' day, of course, the, uh, the men had all the power, all the authority. They could divorce. But even he mentions here, if she divorces her husband, which is really interesting because the Jewish people couldn't divorce their husband. The, the Gentile world, they, they could. But she sa he says, if she divorces her husband and marries another she commits adultery. And so, boy, that sounds awful hard, doesn't it? Sounds awful tight. Sounds awful tough. And in our culture today, it is. In our world today, it is. Incredibly hard. Incredibly challenging to hear this and, and understand it. So we need to look at some others, and I'm going to go a little long today. Uh, I've got to look at some other scriptures, so bear with me a little bit. If you're looking and say, man, he better be done by 10.14. Nope. We've got to look at some other scriptures. Um, but, but first, we, we need to really just deal with our emotions here a little bit. 
Because like you, I've sit across from people who have wept over their marriage. Like, like you, I've sat across from people that maybe their husband or their wife abused them. And they're part of an evil marriage. Like you, I've sat across from people that, man, their friend became their enemy. And they didn't see any way out. They didn't know what they were going to do. And so there's a part of us where like, in our culture today, why do people get married oftentimes? In the Old Testament, uh, it was about children. It was about duty. You know, you, you're, you're in the village you grew up in, it was an arranged marriage. You didn't get to say who you married. You didn't get to fall in love with somebody. Your parents and, and your, your spouse's parents, they decided for you. Or the village matchmaker decided for you. It wasn't about love. It wasn't about romance. It was about, hey, we're making babies. You did your duty. But in our culture, it's different. It is about love, and it is about romance oftentimes. It is about, man, I, I, and what it plays out is what it comes down to oftentimes in our culture is, I want to find someone, a soulmate, someone who make me happy. I want to find someone who's going to love me and fulfill me and, and give me the best, right? And so when that idealism, nobody marries somebody perfect for them. Nobody marries their soulmate. Nobody gets the right person because we're all sinners, we're all fallen. We're all broken. We're all people who have fallen short of the glory of God, and we're going to hurt each other. Given enough time, and we're going to step on each other's toes. We're going to chafe each other. We're going to have a hard time with one another. Nobody marries a perfect spouse. If you're waiting for the perfect spouse, good luck with that. But we have this expectation that they should make me happy. They should fulfill me. And in our culture today, if they don't, well, God doesn't want me to stay in a loveless marriage, does He? God wouldn't have me stay in a marriage where I'm not loved, where I'm not happy all the time, would He? So in our culture today, uh, we call it irreconcilable differences, where we say, well, it's not working anymore, and I just, I just got to get out of there. It's, not good. It's, it's never going to be fulfilling anymore. We're never going to be a dream couple anymore. And so as soon as that happened in a wider culture, even sometimes in the church, we make marriage into a me marriage and a selfish marriage. And it's all about me and I'm going to use people for my end. As long as they make me happy, I'm with them. As long as they, whenever they depart from making me happy, I'm going to ditch them. And that should never be the case. And so we've sat across from people, and, and we've, we've sat across from people with integrity. They want to make it work. They've worked hard. They've suffered for years. They've been in the trenches. It takes two to tangle, they say. It takes two to work it out. Yeah, absolutely. But I'm tired. I've ready, I'm ready to throw in the towel. I'm ready to give up. And they do. But we come back to the Word of God. What would God have us do? We look at this Mark passage, and it says, Yeah, um... Really, you shouldn't get divorced, and if you get divorced, you should stay single unless your spouse dies. Then you can get remarried. What does the rest of the Word of God say? Uh, if you look at Luke, turn to Luke chapter, Luke chapter 16, verse 18. Luke chapter 16, verse 18, he also records Jesus' teachings, and he says, Everyone who divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery. And he who marries a woman divorced from her husband commits adultery. And we, we have to ask the question, why is that? And we'll come back to the answer to that question in a moment. But if you look at the Apostle Paul, 1 Corinthians 
chapter 7, 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Look at verse 10. It's the Apostle Paul, uh, an apostle of Jesus. To the married, I give this charge. Now he's writing to Christians here. To the married, I give this charge, not I, but the Lord. The wife should not separate from her husband. But if she does, she should remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband. And the husband should not divorce his wife. And so the, some have questioned, well, maybe separate there means something different for the wife, but really they're synonyms. Uh, in, the, in the culture of the day, to separate meant divorce, whether you had records or, or a piece of paper from the Roman government to the Gentile government or not. So divorce, uh, pretty clear there. To the rest, I say, not I, I, not the Lord, that if any brother has a wife who is an unbeliever, she consents to live with him, he should not divorce her. If any woman has a husband who is an unbeliever and she, he consents to live with her, she should not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband is made holy because of his wife, and the unbelieving wife is made holy because of her husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean. But as it is, they are holy. But if the unbelieving partner separates, let it be so. Such a case, the brother or sister is not enslaved. God has called you to peace. So if you married an unbeliever, and the unbeliever ditches you, deserts you, abandons you, uh, you can have a divorce. But if you're married, Paul says, man, you can't leave your wife. You can't leave your husband. You can't get divorced. And so we come to these passages and we say, but isn't there anything else? And, and, and there is. If you look at Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. Verse 31. Matthew chapter 5, verse 31. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery. Whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. It's not getting a whole lot easier, these texts. Uh, Matthew chapter 19, Matthew chapter 19, verse, verse 3. Well, let's just, just in lieu of time, let's jump down to verse 9. Chapter 19, verse 9. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality, and marries another, commits adultery. The disciple said to him, If such is the case of a man with his wife, it is better not to marry. <laughs> Do you see what they're saying there? Like, they've grown up in a culture that says it's okay to divorce. They've grown up in a Jewish culture of the day that it's okay to divorce. It's okay to leave your wife. It's okay to abandon your spouse if you find something indecent in her, whether it's something tight or something broad. They're saying, man, you're saying here that, that we can't divorce except for adultery, or porneia is the word there. Porneia is a wider term than adultery. It includes adultery, but it can be bestiality. It can be incense. It can be homosexuality. It could be uh, other kinds of sexual activity outside of the marriage. Uh, you're saying that if there's, unless there's sexual immorality, we can't leave our wives. And, and the disciples, these are, these are the students of Jesus, the, the ones who leave the church, they're, they're saying, man, maybe we shouldn't get married. If we can't get out of it, maybe we shouldn't get married. Wow! But Jesus again takes it to another level, and this might shock you as well. Look what he says here in, in verse 10. If such is the case, a, a, a man with his wife, it is better not to marry. Verse 11, but he said to them, Not everyone can receive the saying, but only those to whom it is given. For there are eunuchs who have been so from birth, and there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by men, and there are eunuchs who have been made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Let the one who is able to receive this, receive it. What he's saying there, okay, uh, 
there's some people that are born without the opportunity to have sexual intimacy, to have sexual intercourse. They're made eunuchs by heaven. Is, is that you? Uh, there's some who have been castrated to serve in kings, palaces. There's some who have chosen not to be sexually active uh, for the kingdom of God's sake. They want to work for God. And so what he's saying is, uh, yeah, you're welcome not to get married, but you realize that the only place you can be sexually active is in marriage. The, the only place where it's appropriate to be sexually active is in marriage. And so if you want to become a eunuch, if you want to abstain from sex all the rest of your life, you might consider uh, not being married, but that's a calling just for a few people. And they're, again, they're probably like, oh, what? Crazy. But the exception clause. The exception clause is it's the, only, the only exception that we know of other than uh, chapter 7, verse 15, where a believer, if an unbeliever deserts you, you can leave them. Uh, you can divorce them. But here the exception clause is sexual immorality. And we wonder, what's the deal with sexual immorality? What's the big deal? Well, when a husband and wife come together, what consummates the union? What brings the union? What is, where does the bond come together? It comes together sexually. And, and the, the idea is that what can break that bond? Another sexual sin. You see, we look at sex in our culture as so trivial and so, man, do whatever you want. Just enjoy yourself. God gave his bodies for pleasure. But God looks at the body totally different. He looks at sexuality totally different. He made it something pure and beautiful and wonderful. And this whole idea about, this idea about if I divorce my wife and I marry another, I make her an adulteress. Or if she divorces me and marries another, she makes me an adulterer. What's that about? Well, the idea is that when you come together sexually with somebody, you come together as a man and a woman, there's a bond that's made. Something that's beautiful and something that's God-made. He forms that, that new person, two becoming one. And to have a sexual immorality uh, action, a, an adulterous affair or something like that, it breaks that bond in some way. Okay? And the idea is, and there's two schools here too, <clears throat> is it possible that the bond can be broken? You shall not break that bond, but maybe it cannot be broken. And so this is the, the impetus behind this, this verse, this idea that you cause someone to commit adultery when you remarry. It's the idea that even though the court says your marriage is dissolved, even though you have a document that says your marriage is dissolved, in God's sight, He still sees that covenant as being real and active. That union that He made, it still goes on. And, and so that's the tragedy of our sexually immoral, immoral culture, is serial monogamists or sexually active people that sleep around here and there. They're forming these bonds that they don't understand the depth of it. They're forming these relationships that are meant to go on that they don't understand the power of it. They don't understand why their, their marriages have such a hard time when they actually do get married. They don't understand how their relationships struggle so much when they do have relationships because that sexually active lifestyle, there's a bond there. You have 20 people that you've slept with. It's a mess. And so the Word of God says, don't get divorced. God can't be any clearer. Jesus can't be any clearer with these things. What God has joined together, let man, let nobody separate. And I know that's a hard word. It's not my word, it's the Word of God. 
And he does it out of love. He does it out of his passion for you. He does it because he wants to see societies thrive. He wants to see his people thrive. He wants to see his churches thrive. It's not a mean-spirited, you can't do what you want kind of a thing. Uh, you have to follow my, my ogre-like laws. It's for our benefit. It's for our best. It's for, our, it's for his glory. He's made marriage for his glory. He's made male and female to come together for his glory, for his honor, for his praise. And he knows what makes life work the best. So if you're here today, and I, I have to mention this, and you've been divorced, and you've been remarried, and you're saying, man, this is tough, and I, and I know it is. What, what do I do with this? How do I handle this? Well, let me just say it this way. If, if, you, if you are uh, someone whose your spouse has died, that ended the marriage, okay? And so you're free to remarry. You know, if your spouse, you could have three or four marriages where your spouse dies, you remarry, your spouse dies, you remarry, that's free. If you if you're, get divorced, and, and if you're, your spouse is free and you're free, if you're unmarried, the best course of action is to try to reconcile, to try to bring that marriage back into a healthy union. And I know when there's been abuse involved, when there's been evil involved, that's a, that's a hard, hard tack to take. What happens if you've been divorced and then married again? Is there something that's not right anymore? That's where the grace of God comes in. Right? If you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Verse 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 verse 9. Uh, it's a hard word, again, maybe, maybe God will speak to you in this, this, this passage, but listen to it and look at the end of it. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will, will inherit the kingdom of God. Such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of God. Yeah, maybe looking back, in hindsight is twenty twenty, and you're like, oh, I wish I could go back. But guess what? That horse has left the gate. That water's under the bridge. What's done is done. Okay? And as a Christian, as you've come to Jesus Christ and you've confessed your sins, you've confessed that you've gone against His Word, you've confessed that you've done what He said you shouldn't do, you confess your sins and God will forgive anybody who comes and asks for forgiveness. We saw that in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 3, verse 28. Truly, Jesus said, Truly, I say to you, all sins will be forgiven, the children of man, and whatever blasphemies they utter. What a, what a great message. Man, all sins will be forgiven. If you've sinned in the past, if you've rebelled against God in the past, if you come to Jesus Christ, you confess your sins, He is faithful and just to forgive you your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And now as a remarried person, man, make your marriage the best marriage possible. Be married for Jesus Christ. Serve Jesus in power. Honor Him with your marriage. Honor Him with your life. That's where you are now. You can't go back. Glorify Him in wherever place you found yourself today. But the Word of God, Jesus, can we divorce our wives? Can we divorce our husbands? 
whatever God has knit together, don't separate. The answer is no, divorce is not part and parcel of the Christian life. Now, let me say this. Some of you are maybe, and I have to say this because maybe somebody here is in an abusive relationship today. Maybe your husband is beating you. Maybe your wife is beating you. Maybe there's some things going on. Maybe there's drug use in your home and you, you don't see how this could ever happen, how this could ever be reconciled. Okay? And we know there's hard cases. There's difficult cases. There's challenges involved in this. Of course there are. Two fallen people getting married, the chances that things are going to go perfect are nil. But we know that there's evil situations and evil cases. Right? And so what I'd say to you, man, I don't want to be pharisaical. I don't want to be like the Pharisees. You know, Jesus got on the Pharisees because they're, they're always like, they're, they're, they're just keeping the minimum of the law. They're just keeping the baseline of the law to say they're righteous, but they could really care less about God's heart. I want to care about God's heart. Right? So we could be pharisaical and say, well, you can only marry, you can only divorce your wife if she cheats on you. Or you can only divorce your husband if he cheats on you. But what if, what if he's bashing your head in? Was the heart of the law there? Was the heart of God there? I don't mean Pharisaical. The Pharisees, man, they tithe on the smallest of things like mint and dill and cumin. But God says, what about righteousness? And what about faithfulness? And what about justice? Where's your heart there? I don't want our church to be Pharisaical. But I don't want to go against the Word of God either. I mean, maybe there is a place of common sense. Maybe there is a place where someone on your marriage has abandoned you a long time ago. They never cheated on you, but they abandoned you. They deserted you a long time ago. Maybe there is a place with the elders, meeting with the elders, meeting with the community of faith, where maybe we come to think like common sense. Maybe there is a way out for divorce. In this situation, every situation is different. We know that. But man, we can't get away from the Word of God, can we? arbitrarily making up our own rules, arbitrarily making up our own standards. We can't. The world has abandoned standards of marriage. In Jesus' day, the Pharisees had abandoned God's heart. The Jewish people in general abandoned God's heart for marriage. In the church today, the churches today, there's often been an abandonment of God's standards, abandonment of God's heart. I'm going to do what I want and I don't care what anybody tells me. May that not be us. When we have troubles in our marriage, small troubles, difficult troubles, man, we work at it. We pursue it hard. We, we fight for our marriages. We bring other people in. One of the things I see again and again when people get divorced, they, try, they, they get isolated. They get alone. They don't let anybody in. Christians that divorce oftentimes, they get isolated. They don't bring the church in. They don't bring the elder board in. They don't bring their family of God into the thing. They, they, they never cry for help. They, they suffer and they wither and they die alone. God has given us the body of Christ to love one another and support. If your marriage is in trouble, don't stay alone. Reach out. Open up. Become part of the body of Christ in a real way. But I, I, I guess my, my tact in some of these things, man, if you're being abused, if you're being hurt today, uh, you don't necessarily have to start with divorce. Okay? But you need to get out of the house. You need to, you need to pull yourself away from the season because that abuser, he or she can't work on their stuff with you present. You need to se separate for a season. And, and, and again, that separation in chapter 7, verse, verse 10, it's not talking about separation like it's wrong to separate. It's talking about divorce. But you need to separate for a season so you can work on your stuff. You can't work on it together when he's beating you up. So you've got to get out of there for a season. And, but the, the deal here is, man, if marriage matters so much to God, it should matter so much to us. 
Let us not be like the world. Let's not throw th something away that's sacred and holy to God. Let's fight for it. Let's work on it. And know you're not alone. If you're struggling in your marriage, call me. And I'll come in the middle of the night. And I'll sit with you and I'll weep with you and I'll be there for you. Call one of the elders. Call one of the deacons. Don't stay alone in this stuff. Your marriage matters to God. It should matter to you. May God bless the reading the teaching of his holy word. Please stand in his presence. Lord God, make us your people. Make us your people of praise and worship. Make us your people of holiness and honor and integrity. Make us your people that represent you well in this world. And may our marriages, Lord, may our marriages glorify you. May our marriages honor you. May our marriages point to you and your glory in the coming kingdom. For you are worthy. Lord, we ask for your grace and your power and your might in our marriages, in our families, in our homes, in our church today. For your glory, for your praise, for your honor. Send us out in the world as your worshipers. Let us worship you this week, day by day. May we glorify you until we meet again next Sunday. Trust you, Lord. We love you and praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. God, every, go, go and please everybody. And if you have something in your heart that you need to talk to, the deacons will be up here to meet you. And give me a call later if you need to talk. God bless you. Thank you so much for listening. The gospel according to the Bible is that Jesus Christ, who was and is the eternal God, took on human flesh, was born of a virgin, died for our sins on the cross, and rose from the dead three days later. He then ascended to the Father's right hand, where he sits making intercession for his people, and right now he is establishing the kingdom of God on earth. You can enter into a saving relationship with God by repenting of your sins and placing your full trust in Jesus' life, his death and resurrection on your behalf. In Christ you will find forgiveness, acceptance, freedom, peace, hope, and a future. If you would like more information about Christianity or Living Water Bible Fellowship, visit our website at livingwateralamosa.org. God bless.